following is a presentation of the Michigan Sports Network. Tuesdays on the Huge Show across Michigan are brought to you by the Soaring Eagle Casino and Resort in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Book your getaway today at SoaringEagleCasino.com and also download the Eagle Access app. And they now have live sports wagering inside the Ascend Sportsbook and nightclub inside Soaring Eagle in Mount Pleasant. And if you want to get an update and buy tickets to all the great indoor shows, find out about the promotions and the giveaways, go to SoaringEagleCasino.com and download that Eagle Access app. Tuesdays on the Huge Radio Network are presented by the incredible Soren Eagle Casino and Resort in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. On today's broadcast, we look back at my conversations with Gold Star families in West Michigan about their sons making the ultimate sacrifice for the United States of America. Bill Simonson here, and I want to introduce the Burry family to everybody listening across Michigan or worldwide at thehugeshow.net. Now, I came across Eric Burry and his ultimate sacrifice story via Johnny Brand Sr. When Johnny told me about John Burry, his dad, and said, the Burry family's awesome, Bill, and you need to look at the story of Eric Burry. Well, I went online, and I found out that he died serving his country At the age of 21, grew up in Wyoming, Michigan, here on the west side of the state, went to Kellogg'sville High School, was a guy that cared about people and also wanted to see the world, was an exchange student during his high school days, went to Uruguay, and he chose uh, to help fight for freedom. And he was inspired not only by his country, but what he saw while serving in the military. And ultimately, on June 7, 2005, Eric Burry made the ultimate sacrifice for America, and his father, John Burry, uh, joins us in studio to take us through the life of his son, who died at the age of 21. And John, thanks for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. Well, tell me about your son, Eric. And, you know, I know all of our children are special to us, but when he was growing up, what type of kid was he? Well, first of all, Eric, you know, he was our third son second born we had lost our first born at birth years before and we adopted a son from calcutta india our son andrew and then eric was born so he was a special kid being that we actually were able to bring this one home from the hospital and uh we uh always knew we were blessed by being able to do so and uh but we're also very thankful for the chance of adoption because without that we wouldn't have become a family in the beginning and eric looked up to his big brother you know he always had a little competition between them as brothers would do and uh but yeah he was the kid that uh typical kid you know played t-ball as a little guy growing up he was involved in some sports throughout the school year he he did uh track in the middle school he did a relay team in middle school um the uh, uh he did cross country so you know he liked to compete he liked to put himself out there and uh he was my adventuresome son my wife is joanne Burry, and that we always knew eric was a little high spirit and always on the go but he was our adventuresome boy he uh was the kid that would go to cedar point and go on the roller coasters with me 
And uh, he was the kid that went with me to the Grand Canyon, and we hiked down into the canyon and slept two nights in the open on the canyon floor. And, um, yeah, you know, he came home from school one day, and he said, well, Mom and Dad, he says, I did it. We said, what'd you do? He says, I signed up. I took the first step to join the military. And part of his reasoning for that was also was he kind of remembered about, you know, what happened on 9-11. And I think that kind of stayed with him as a kid and growing up. So he wanted to go out in the world and, and make a difference. So um, so he joined. And uh, we were, we were <laughs> I can't say we were apprehensive about it. We just, you know, there's a time you got to let your kid grow up. You got to let them li- live their life and you got to let them go. So I... I'm talking about a time of letting go. I also can remember him coming home one time, and he had just finally had gotten his driver's license, and after a few months of driving, he came to us one day. He said, Mom and Dad, he says, can I take the car and drive over to Michigan State? There was a meet and greet going on. He wanted to meet the players and get autographs of that. And I looked at my wife, and we looked at each other. He said, got to let him do it sometime. And, you know, he was so grateful and thankful when he came home that evening. I got all, all the autographs and stuff he was showing us. And, I, you know, I'm so glad we let him do it. Was he a Michigan State fan? He certainly was. He was a big Michigan State fan because his uncle David Walgren uh, graduated college from Michigan State. In fact, our, uh, his uncle David passed away unexpectedly, and Eric came home on leave to be with family shortly right after. And, and that was a uh, few weeks before he would make the ultimate sacrifice for correct. his country. That's correct, yes, yes. He came home on leave, spent a little time with us, and uh, happened to go across over to Saginaw to meet the young lady that he had met online while in 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 the military. He was in Kuwait at that time. Met this gal online, came home to be with family, and then he had to go visit this girl who they had gone out shopping for rings. <laughs> they were talking marriage. That quick, yeah. huh? Yeah, that quick. Yep. He, uh, and he he's was, 21 at this time, right? Correct. Yep, yep, yep. yep. He was and this still, is uh, early, that would be late May, right around this time, 2005, right? That's right, yes. Yep. Yeah, that's 14 years ago, June 7th, that we had lost him. So, you know, each year that goes by. People would say, does it get any easier? And I've learned to say from someone else that experienced the same thing in their life, they say it doesn't get easier, but it gets softer. You know, it's always going to hurt, especially when the holidays come up, the birthday, the date of that death, the family gatherings, or he's no longer at that table, you know. So it's it's not easy. It don't get easier. There's never closure. I hate the saying when they say, well, now they have closure, but there's never closure because they're never here. How many grandkids would we have had? Eric liked kids. You know, in fact, when he was in Iraq, the one time he had written home, there were so many kids here that they didn't have shoes, and I wish we could give them mine. So he was and, talking about, he, he felt uh, this kindred spirit towards the Iraqi children living in poverty Yes, while he was serving America. Yes, 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 he did. And that was the type of person he was. Yeah, he was, you know, he would, he came home on leave, he went and mowed the neighbor's lawn, she was a widower, and he noticed the lawn needed mowing, and I can remember the neighbor lady sharing the memory of that, and how much joy it brought me, and knowing that she was taken by him helping her out while he was home on leave that time so it's a good memory you know and, uh, there's one memory I always share you're not a marine by any chance are you no no oh, okay no. whenever I meet a marine I have to share this story with them and uh uh, so for any of Marines that are listening, if this is aired here, uh, I want you to pay close attention. <laughs> Eric was telling us, Dad, he says, we're coming into this town one day, 
and it's a roadblock. He said, it's a hot zone. We had In, a, in Iraq. In right. Iraq. He said, we had to take the detour. He said, yeah, we're taking this detour. He said, it's nothing but a mud pit. He said, each vehicle's getting stuck. We're pulling them out one at a time. He said, Dad, we're pulling out my vehicle, and we see flashes coming from the hillside. So we, I'm thinking, you're getting shot at. He said, no, Dad. So we take out our binoculars to see what's going on. He says, it was the Marines taking pictures. He says, those Marines. So so that's why it's a you know it's a it's a fun story to share even though there was a, came to a tragic end you know but it's a good memory and so I share it with every Marine I can, and I shake my hand at him saying, you Marines, you. <laughs> well, I see you wearing uh, a lot of red, white, and blue, patriotic. Would you say that uh, the Burry family growing up in Wyoming, Michigan, uh, that there was a lot of patriotism? You mentioned that Eric uh, was inspired by 9-11 and what happened in post-9-11, uh, uh, or did the patriotism really become part of your soul after Eric gave his life fighting for America? Yeah, I I would say that. I says, you know, I'm kind of ashamed to say that. Growing up, I never thought that much about Veterans Day or Memorial Day. Just a typical person growing up. A lot of us don't unless there's a connection. Yeah, and so when this happened, it made me stop and realize just how much every military man and woman are willing to do for strangers. And I have to go back and I apologize. Whenever I see a veteran, I always make sure I shake their hand and thank them for their service because... Who else would be willing to give their lives other than our law enforcement, you know, for strangers, for people you don't know? No, oh, and those, that's a special breed of a man and woman in law enforcement or the military who choose, who are inspired. You know, we've heard the stories of Pat Tillman, who was a high-profile NFL player who was inspired by post-9-11. Uh, you mentioned your son. I've heard, you know, Ross Smith. Uh, we go down the list, uh, these Gold Star families and these young men, because as I'm reading the biography and the background on your son, I stop and I look at the age and I and I see 21. Yeah. And I and I think of, of, of what these young men and women, law enforcement and the military, that every day they leave their base, every day they leave uh, their precinct or their substation or their headquarters. They don't know if they're coming home. And they have that will to die for others. I think that's something that you cannot be taught. It's in your soul. It's in your DNA. Yep. I remember him saying to me one time shortly after he first joined and took that first pledge. He says, you know, Dad, he says, I'm not afraid to die. He said this right when he joined the military. But he first joined before he graduated high school. He took that first step where they went and pledged. And, you know, so it was like. It's just kind of like he might have had a premonition as time went on. But, uh, you know, like I said, we had to let him grow up. We had to let him go. We had to let him do his thing. I mean, that's what life is about. It's not always easy being a parent when you have to discipline your kids and lay down that tough love. And, Amen. And then when it's time to let him go and grow up and walk out that door. But he wanted to be in the military. He was a parachute rigger with an 82nd Airborne 623 Quartermaster. And another thing I'll always remember him saying was, you know what's neat about being a parachute rigger, Dad? Nobody messes with you. <laughs> yeah, they want to make sure you get it right. You want to make sure you did it right. And, uh, you know, he was just, like I said, it was that adventuresome boy and, and always on the go. And I'm kind of like that even to this day. And now I realize why he was always so busy. He had a lot to accomplish in this short time on Earth. 
Yeah. So when he said uh, he came home that day and mom and dad, I'm, I'm, I'm joining the military. And you talked about your apprehension. Uh, he talked to you about the honesty of, you know, I could die serving my country. Uh, what was it like early on uh, in his military career up until that day uh, when you got the knock at your door that he had died in Iraq? Well, he was just doing his typical thing, getting his training at the different bases and then, uh, you know, uh, enjoying it, enjoying his military time. Uh, I know he came home on leave the fun time and he, he bought his first car and he says, now I got my car, I can drive back and forth on leave. Well, he drove it back to the base, and the next time we got a call, he said, I'm just flying home. That <laughs> was too much. Yeah, for North Carolina, right? For, yeah, for 14-hour drive by himself. He just wanted to fly home. But, you know, he just, I do remember one of his uh, fellas that he roomed with there on base said he hated to see Eric have to go because he said he was the neatest, the cleanest roommate I had here at Fort Bragg. He <laughs> so, you know, it was kind of neat. We've still had some contact with his former military men and women. A couple of them have come to visit and stand at his graveside. And uh, there are others that still want to come and that we stay in touch with through Facebook. His name is John Burry. His son, Eric Burry, made the ultimate sacrifice for America on June 7th, 2005 in Baghdad. Uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom. He was a free spirit. A guy who didn't think long and hard and just came home and told his parents, I'm joining the military and at the age of 21, uh, the ultimate sacrifice. So before you get the news uh, that Eric had died uh, while being deployed in Iraq, how long was he in the military and how long did he plan on staying in the military? Well, at first he talked about being a lifer. And then he met this girl online and decided, no, Dad, I'm going to do my four years and get in and get out. Because <laughs> he planned he was going to get so married. So maybe another year left right in the military? Well, he joined. Uh, he graduated 2003. He went right off to base then, so he's only in a couple of years before he was killed. So he gets so. deployed. Now, when he gets deployed to Iraq, uh, your thoughts uh, when you get that news? Well, you know, I put him in God's hands, and we just... Had to have faith and trust that things would go well and he'd come home, you know. But he came home, unlike some that are missing in action, you know, and and he came home just not the way we had hoped, but he came home. In the conversations you had with him uh, from Iraq, uh, what were they like in the war zone? You know, he told you about the kids with no shoes and he wanted to give them uh, the shoes off his feet. He yeah. felt that kindred spirit towards uh, the children who are victims of war and poverty. Uh, what were those conversations like uh, with you and your family? You know, it, it gave us comfort knowing that he was appreciative of what he had here in America, knowing what he's seen over there in the poverty and the children. And uh, so it gave us great comfort, you know. And um, we just... I have no regrets that he lived his life how he wanted to and no regrets that we didn't discourage him from joining the military because that's who he wanted to be and who he wanted to become. I hear from so many Gold Star families that I've talked to about their sons who have made the ultimate sacrifice and how all of them in unison echo what you say, Mm -hmm. that their son lived his life to the fullest. This is what he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And that he cared about his country. And you get this duty, honor, courage, all these things that 
uh, define your son and these great men and women who serve today and who have served this country just like law enforcement. And so it's June 7th. Um, you get, is it uh, a knock at the door? Is it a, an email, a call? Uh, they always tell me, come. They come they to come the door first, right? The door, yeah. there, there's no, you, you get no word before the knock on the door. You know, I had a dream one night, and it was dark. There was a caravan going along. There was an explosion. I saw this Humvee This jump is before he, he before dies. Before this. And I don't know how much time was in between, because I think I blocked that out. And But I just, afterwards, you just realized God was trying to give me a heads up. When our firstborn had died, a little over three hours after being born, I was coming down Kalamazoo Avenue, returning to the hospital, when I crossed these railroad tracks and the thought went through my head, it must be awful to tell somebody their baby died. So I think God in this mysterious way was trying to give me a heads up so I was ready for the blow, you know. And it's just, it's an ugly thing to happen. War is not a win-win situation, really. You know, there's death on both sides. Those that we call our enemies, they're losing family, we're losing family. But I always say there's no true winners in war. But but things happen. Eric wanted to be a part of something that he wanted to help make the world a better place. And uh, this one year we did the shoe drive in his memory. And thousands of pairs of shoes were donated. And and uh, Baby Bliss had closed. And one of the guys there says, go into the factory, gather up what you want, ship it over there along with the shoes. Back and to ba- Baghdad. Back to Baghdad. So he, in conversations with you... And a photo on the card you gave me of Eric Burry, specialist in the Army, standing with an Iraqi child. That after <laughs> after his death, you you did a a a, a shoe drive. Yep. And in his name, hundreds of shoes, pairs of yep. shoes, were sent back to Baghdad. Yeah, it was amazing. The people mm. just sent them from all over, or sent money to help get shoes. And Blackwater at the time. They took their time to take the shoes over there. They were part of delivering them. Yeah, the Blackwater, which was contracted uh, specialist by the government, Correct. right? Correct, yep. And then, uh, you know, Eric was also, his portrait was also used for Hometown Hero for Art Prize 2014. I don't know if you remember that. If yes, I do. His portrait was used as uh, Pamela Alderman came to us and wanted to use him. And, and that wasn't just about the military his portrait was being used to help make people stop and think, who was that special person in your life that you looked up to as your hero? And that was the best year she ever done for all of Art Prize, every year that she participated. So we could be more prouder of, of people are knowing about our boy and getting to know that he was willing to put his life out there for all, you know. And I mentioned that Johnny Brand Sr., uh, I think the... Eric Burry uh, portrait and flag fly at Leonard on the location there. Yes, his flag's up there. His name's above the flag. And then uh, Pamela Alderman gave Johnny a uh, portrait of Eric. That he put that in, was in, similar in to what she had done for Art Price as a thank you. Had the brands on Leonard. And yeah. how about Johnny Brand Sr., Tommy Brand, Mike Brand Sr., the Brand family, what they have done uh, to honor our true hometown heroes in West Michigan and all across this state. 
<laughs> and their brand steakhouse and grills that is truly special isn't yeah, it it really is special the brands have a special place for us in our heart you know tommy being our representative created that bill to have the sections of 131 named after the three boys from wyoming which by the way this is i get goosebumps <laughs> After I sent you a Facebook message asking if you could come in studio and just tell me about Eric's life, right? I'm driving along. I think I'm going to one of my kids' soccer games. And there it is. Yeah. A portion of, is it 131, right? 131 from 54th Street to 44th or 44th to 54th, depending on which way you're going. And I saw Ross Smith, another section, right? Ross Smith, and then there's Nicholas Blodgett. Wow. Nicholas Blodgett was killed uh, in July of 2004. Eric was June of 2005, and then Ross Smith was December of 2006. And these are the three boys from Wyoming. And and uh, we've gotten an old family since then. And we, you know, Gold Star families were, they say we're a special unit. It's a group you don't really want to belong to, but we're there for each other when we need each other. His name, Eric Burry, specialist uh, out of Wyoming, graduated from Kellogg'sville High School, joined the Army. Was there for a couple of years. He was deployed to Iraq and killed in action in Baghdad on June 7, 2005. He was a parachute rigger assigned to the 623rd Quartermaster Company, 82nd Airborne Division. The best of the best at Fort Bragg, uh, North Carolina. And Eric made the ultimate sacrifice uh, for our country. And John, uh, my best to you and your family. Uh, I thank you for coming in. I know it's not easy. Uh, but what I like to do is keep the legacy alive yeah. of our fallen heroes because the one thing that's common in all family members I meet who lose somebody from law enforcement or the military is they want them to never be forgotten and let their legacy live on forever. Yeah, I think when I say it, I think I say it for all that have lost a loved one in the military or through law enforcement. That That is one of our fears is that our our heroes will be forgotten never forgotten no no it won't won't happen people like johnny brand senior tommy brand mike brand senior the brand family and so many others i think the majority of people in west michigan this state and this country have a place in their heart for men and women and law enforcement and the military who protect us who serve this country and who make the ultimate sacrifice and god bless eric burry 21 years of age, died in Iraq on June 7, 2005. John Burry, his father in studio. Thanks for sharing the story. Thank you very much. God bless you, and God bless America, and God bless all of our troops who are serving, have served, and those that are willing to serve in the future. You're listening to Huge Show Conversations with Gold Star Families here in Michigan as they talk about the legacy of their sons who made the ultimate sacrifice fighting for our country. There are 13 folds that bring the American flag to the iconic shape of freedom. This summer, Folds of Honor and Budweiser celebrate 13 years of changing military and first responder lives together. Service never stops, and neither will we. So join me in raising a Budweiser to raise funds for Folds of Honor. Enjoy responsibly. Anheuser-Busch Budweiser Lager Beer, St. Louis, Missouri. Have you ever played golf at Tullymore, St. Ives? Have you experienced a stay-and-play package in Canadian Lakes, Michigan, less than an hour north of Grand Rapids? 
Well, here's what you need to do if you want to take advantage of great deals right now. Go to TullymoreGolf.com. That's TullymoreGolf.com, and you'll see the link for packages, accommodations, dining, meetings, weddings, events, and so much more. And especially golf on the 18-hole layout at Tullymore and the 18 holes at St. Ives. And they can accommodate any group, whether it's two people getting together or 200 looking for a weekend or an overnight celebration. That includes a little business, golf, great food, and beverages. Just go to TullymoreGolf.com. That's TullymoreGolf.com. They're located in Canadian Lakes, Michigan. Less than an hour north of GR. Get more info at TullymoreGolf.com. At Mercantile Bank, we believe in empowering the communities we serve and that financially strong individuals and families are vital for building strong communities. That's why we're committed to providing budgeting tools and interactive resources designed to help you take charge of your finances. Our friendly staff is always here to help answer questions and provide solutions to help you reach your goals. Call, stop in, or visit us online at MerckBank.com to learn more. And let's help you make today count. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Bill Simonson here for Roast Umber Coffee. It's a farm direct coffee sourced from Central American farmers and roasted in Grand Rapids. And their nitro cold brew coffee is a convenient and healthy option with no sugar or additives. So if you want a great coffee or energy drink to power you through your morning and your day, it's available in ground or whole bean or in cans. More information on the website and direct delivery to your door at RoastUmber.com. We played for the thrill. That rush you feel with the game on the line. I'm Herman Moore, Lions All-Pro Wide Receiver. Now, with Eagle Casino and Sports, the new sportsbook app from Soren Eagle, anywhere I'm at, I'm still in the game. Sign up now and get up to $1,000. That's right, up to $1,000 for a risk-free bet on your next favorite underdog parlay or prop. Eagle Casino and Sports. Made in Michigan, made for Michigan. Must be 21 or older than Michigan to play. You're listening to The Huge Show on the Michigan Sports Network. On today's broadcast, we look back at my conversations with Gold Star families in West Michigan about their sons making the ultimate sacrifice for the United States of America. I've come across incredible stories of courage, duty, honor, love of country, uh, connected to great men and women uh, wherever I've been uh, doing this radio program. And a special family that's close to my heart, uh, the Warson family, uh, they lost a son, they lost a brother, uh, they lost a grandson, Navy Special Warfare Operator, Second Class David J. Warson, died in August of 2012, serving during Operation Enduring Freedom. And that's a big key when we talk about veterans. And you go back in history at the root of what they are doing, what their commitment was all about was fighting for freedom. David was 27 out of East Kentwood, Michigan. He loved the game of soccer. He loved his family. Uh, He loved his friends. And he was assigned to a West Coast-based Naval Special Warfare Unit. He died August 16, 2012 in a Black Hawk helicopter crash northeast of Kandahar, Afghanistan. David's spirit still lives on, and the way I get connected to the Warson family goes back to just when David Warson was commissioned 
as a Navy SEAL, uh, his father, uh, his stepmother, and also a relative, I think it was a niece, stopped in to Mongolian Barbecue on 28th Street. We were doing a fundraiser, I think, for neurofibromatosis. And a gentleman stopped me. And he said, hey, how you doing? Uh, my name's David Warson. And I want to thank you for your support of the military. We thought we'd come out and support what you're doing. He also told me on that day, he said, you need to read a book called Lone Survivor. Make sure you read it. It To a T, it tells you what a Navy SEAL is all about. Well, then when we get to August 2012... I'm doing my radio program from the Tee It Up for Kids charity golf outing at Eagle Eye. And Sean Ellis from the Southland Ottawa sends me an email. And he said, hey, at the end of your show, could you pay tribute uh, to a guy who used to work for us, a Navy SEAL who died in Afghanistan earlier this week by the name of David Warson? And I said, and I emailed him back, you bet. I'll give him a nice tribute end of the show. Well, then something was going off of my mind, like, boy, I know that name. I know that name. So I do the tribute. I go out to the parking lot, get in my car. I check my phone. I look at my email archive, type in David Worson, and up pops an email from his father saying, hey, it was cool to meet you. Thanks for what you do. Don't forget to read Lone Survivor. And at that moment, I picked up the phone, and I gave David Worson Sr. a call. Still had that number. Still had all the information. And said, I'm so sorry for your loss. Well, we got together on air through the Grand Rapids crew and soccer and did a broadcast and paid tribute to David. This guy loved his family, loved his country. He loved his friends. He loved life. And he also loved the game of soccer. And now David Worson Sr., who I call a good friend, along with the Worson family. They're extended family. They're everywhere. Uh, the Worsons. They're, they're like their own little military outfit. You need to get to know them. They're special. And David Warson Sr. joins us in studio here on the huge show across Michigan. Good to see you, my man. Very good to see you. First thought you have when you wake up every morning and you think of David. Smile comes to my face. When something like this happens, as tragic um, as it is, um, you have a choice. You can be upset about it. Or you can decide to wake up and celebrate his life and what he gave us in those 27 years of life. Why did David Worson want to become a Navy SEAL? What inspired him at what point in his life? And again, he died at 27, so still a young man, David. Did you hear from your son, seeing your son, that he had this dream or goal to go fight freedom or fight for freedom? Well, David was always driven. He went to a, a few colleges along the way and played soccer, loved soccer. but A big strapping guy, by the way, too. I mean, David looks like a guy that would be a linebacker on a football team, not your typical soccer player. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and then when he went in, he just kept getting bigger and bigger. Um, but he came to us um, and said, hey, school is not the thing for me. I want to be challenged. Um, I want I want to be challenged, and I want to be the best of the best, and I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. What age was he at this time? 24. And so he went and started training for it, and he never looked. He never looked back. He succeeded. And getting through 
BUDS or Navy SEAL training is maybe the toughest course known to man, correct? Yeah, I, I'll tell you this. I've been around a lot of team guys, and they're they're all fantastic. They're all kind of from the same mold. You're talking the Navy SEAL team guys. Yep, Navy SEAL team guys, and and they're they're unbelievable. Um, but I've had several of them come up to me that have been in the teams for a number of years, and said to me, "You know what? We have unfortunately way too many deaths, but your son, being a new guy on his first mission." He said his first deployment, he said he was unbelievable. He was the best of the best. What change did you see in David when he was going through this Navy SEAL process, training to be one, uh, when he finally was commissioned? And I've seen those photos when you guys were out in Coronado, California. What was the biggest change you saw in your son? Never wanted to let anybody down. I always wanted to be the best no matter what it was from being a, a, a son to being looking forward to being a husband to to being a friend um, David loved everybody um, neat thing is we, we met a, a, his chaplain when David died and David had a, a conversation with the chaplain um, before he died and um, over in Afghanistan and the chaplain went to us and said, hey, when a Navy guy comes to me and wants to talk, it's usually trouble, meaning marriage troubles back home, whatever it may be. He said, your son sat down and talked to me, and he said, I couldn't be more proud. He says, I'm doing his funeral, but I know where he is because he was a man that loved God. Well, where did he get this, I guess, GPS to follow this path where you talked about his inner strength when his love of family his love of god his love of life huge lions fan too i saw those pictures with the lions jersey he loved his uh, lions uh but where was this born and bred in i mean you're his father were there friends was there something that happened earlier in life you know i i wish i could tell you that i could put one finger on it i i really can't um, one thing that you can say about our family is that um, everything that we could be accused of is loving somebody too much. Um, but he had it within him. Um, I can tell you, Aaron, Kyle, and Ryan all have it within them. If, his brothers. His brothers. If if you want to know David, you know 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 those three boys because uh, they all come from the same mode. They're all driven. You know, and where does that come from? You know, I, I don't know. I, I give them a lot of credit for stepping up and being the men that they are. David Warson Sr. is joining me in the studio. His son, uh, David J. Warson, at the age of 27 out of East Kentwood, Michigan, he died in a Black Hawk helicopter crash northeast of Kandahar, Afghanistan. And you told me the story that they were on their way back to base and they got a call as something was going on in a canyon. And they made that turn, and that helicopter never made it back to base. No, never made it back to base. And, um, you know, when we first heard, we heard that it was maybe mechanical troubles or possibly got shot down, ended up did get shot down by a rocket launcher. 
Um, they did stop their mission. Uh, when something like that goes down, you know, the biggest thing is to recover the bodies. That's first and foremost. So another helicopter came in to recover the bodies, right, fellow SEALs? Yeah, yep, yep, fellow SEALs. They stopped everything and, um, yeah, made sure that they, they brought them all back, and which they did, of course. I can't imagine your pain, David, when uh, I guess the Navy sends, is it like we see in the movies that a Navy car shows up or military put, and they knock on your door? Does it work that way? Did it notify you in advance? No. And, it, you know, when this happened, we weren't exactly sure what was going to happen. Were we going to get a phone call or was somebody going to stop by? Um, you know, the house. Who told you that something had happened to David? Well, here it is. We had some, we come from a blended family. David has two dads and he's got two moms and, and they're all incredible. Um, Stephanie, uh, my wife, was in the hospital. Um, was in the hospital um, for like three weeks. And so Navy had to get to um, Patty, my ex's wife, uh, house, and they had to find us. Well, they came to our house. Navy came to our house, not there. So they went and started to knock on neighbors' doors. And neighbor said that we were up in the hospital. So this whole telling us was delayed because they didn't want to tell um, Patty before me. So they had to coordinate that together. So up at the hospital for me was all of a sudden somebody knocked on on Stephanie's hospital room door. And I'll never forget it. It, um, I'm making all the phone calls because we heard earlier in the day that there might be some trouble. And so I'm making all the calls, trying to find out what I can find out. A nurse comes in and said, hey, there's some people here that want to see you. And I'm kind of irritated. I'm like, well, if they want to come in and see, just walk in the room. So I come walking out of the hospital room, looking down the hallway, and I don't see anybody. So I start walking down, or I ask a nurse, where did they go? And they're like, hey, they're down here in the the visitor room. So I started walking down, and it hit me. I did a 180, and I turned and got Stephanie um, out of her hospital bed and um, started walking. And I wanted to prepare her because she was pretty sick. And I said, hey, I'm just letting you know, Navy's here, and that's not going to be good news. And she actually fainted. So now she's fainted. We get her up in a wheelchair. And uh, that walk down that hallway, knowing that Navy is going to tell you that your son has died, um, is unbelievable. And you turn that corner, you look in the room, and you see two white uniforms. And hearing that, that your son has passed, yeah, it's the worst thing. And it's the worst thing you can ever imagine. And you probably think of your last conversation, whether it was an email or phone or whatever they could do to communicate from Afghanistan. What was your final conversation with David about? Um, coming home soon. He was on one of his last missions. Um, he was he notified us. And um, what people don't know is a couple days prior to this, he was in another helicopter crash and survived. So he was calling us to let us know, hey, this might make the news. We're all all right. Um, But I just wanted to let you know. And he was looking forward to coming home. We had a uh, we had a a wedding that was uh, we were planning. And uh, so that was one of the last conversations about his crash, that he was all right and that uh, he'd be coming home real soon. David Worson Sr., his son, 
David J. Warson died on August 16, 2012, serving during Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan. David's joining us in studio here on The Huge Show across Michigan. And you mentioned from that point forward, even with a heavy heart, which still sits in your chest today, you've celebrated his life. What's the best thing you've heard about David since he died that really inspires you every day? I don't know if it's one thing, but it's the vast majority of people that David touched in his 27 years of life here. He grew up in Kentwood. That's not a long time, because if you think about it, you're you're adult, quasi-adult, somewhere around 18, and 27 means there's about a decade of touching people's lives, right? 16 to 27, give or take, right? It, well, exactly. Um, and, and we're just a normal family in Kentwood. And you think about the lives that he's touched. I'm not exaggerating. He touched around the world that we've heard. And he had great things planned that we had no idea in the lives he touched. So I I can't say it's one thing, but just knowing the people that he touched, how he touched our family, um, there's no better person. On this day, David, we're paying tribute to those who have served Uh, those who serve today and also those like David that made the ultimate sacrifice uh, for this country. My best to you, my man. Uh, We'll be in touch. Give Steph my best, the boys, the Worson family, the extended Worson family, which covers most of this country. Uh, It's it's an honor uh, to be a part of your lives. And I never met David Worson, but I feel like I know the man. I really do. I tell everybody I never. People say, well, you sound like you know you knew him. No, I didn't know him. But boy, I know him now. I do. I know him now, and then the way everything is crisscrossed and the different paths from that day when you sat there at Mongolian Barbecue on 28th Street with Steph and I think your niece, who now goes to Michigan State, right? Niece Brooke, yep, yep. definitely. And, and you talked about, you know, read this book. Yeah. And when I read the book, I said, this needs to be a movie, Lone Survivor by Marcus Luttrell. <laughs> and lo and behold. <laughs> and then it's a movie, and we're all on that stage in front of over 500 people yeah. at Celebration Cinema North. And not only are we celebrating David's legacy, but Bobby Threlkill. He said, you know what, let him stand up. And he got that thunderous ovation. Crowd went sit down for about five minutes. And he's the Marine. And just again, I thought to play the Bobby Threlkin interview, have you in studio. My man, we'll talk soon, okay? We'll do, and we thank you for everything you do. You don't us. need to thank me. I always say that. Well, let me tell you, you do always say that. But it's your voice that gets out and really gives credit to these veterans and the people that gave their life. So you are a huge piece of that. Yeah, you know what? I've partnered with Johnny Brand Sr. And you know from David's flag flying at the Brands on Leonard to that ceremony to Johnny being a part of the golf tournaments to Johnny being there at the Lone Survivor thing. Tell you what, you know, there's a reason why we're close friends. That guy cares more uh, about the military and the police than anybody would ever know. He, that's another special guy. Johnny Brand is absolutely fantastic. And his place on Leonard Street, he put a uh, flag up in memory of David up on his building. There's a picture of David inside it. Absolutely fantastic. Good man. Good man. You're a great man. Wonderful family. I know it's a tough day, but 11 11. 11 11. That is, that is kind of crazy. You keep telling, you tell that 11 11 story all the time. I do. I think it's one day I was at your house and I had to leave and it goes 11 11. I can't leave now. I got to wait till it's 11 12. I can't walk out right now. David Worson Sr., thank you and God bless uh, David Worson Jr., okay, my man? Thank you. 
You're listening to Huge Show Conversations with Gold Star families here in Michigan as they talk about the legacy of their sons who made the ultimate sacrifice fighting for our country. Monster Truck Madness. Saturday, July 1st at Soaring Eagle Casino and Resort. It's a monster truck invasion. Plus an awesome fireworks display after the show. Gates open at 4. With a huge pit party till 6.30. Monster Truck Madness. Tickets just $25 and are on sale now. At the box office or eticks.com. Call 877-2-EAGLE-2. Saturday, July 1st at Soaring Eagle Casino and Resort. Monster Truck Madness. Bring a lawn chair and hang out for the thrill of the hill. Bill Simonson back here on the Huge Show across Michigan. If you missed any of our Gold Star interviews, you can listen 24-7 at thehugeshow.net. I do want to thank Superfly Hayes for all of his hard work putting together these interviews with these Gold Star families who are still dealing with the pain of losing a son. Think about that man who stepped up and said, I want to serve this country. And then they gave their lives for the freedoms we enjoy today. So on behalf of the Huge Radio Network, Superfly Hayes, his family, and mine, we salute all the Gold Star families all across Michigan and across America. The following is a presentation of the Michigan Sports Network. Tuesdays on the Huge Show Across Michigan are brought to you by the Soaring Eagle Casino and Resort in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Book your getaway today at SoaringEagleCasino.com and also download the Eagle Access app. And they now have live sports wagering inside the Ascend Sportsbook and nightclub inside Soaring Eagle in Mount Pleasant. And if you want to get an update and buy tickets to all the great indoor shows, find out about the promotions and the giveaways, go to SoaringEagleCasino.com and download that Eagle Access app. Tuesdays on the Huge Radio Network are presented by the incredible Soren Eagle Casino and Resort in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. On today's broadcast, we look back at my conversations with Gold Star families in West Michigan about their sons making the ultimate sacrifice for the United States of America. Carl and Ruth Price from the beautiful city of Holland. They join us in studio to talk about their son, uh, the late Daniel J. Price, Gunnery Sergeant Marine Raider. And Ruth, thank you for driving in. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. And Carl, we talked before. Yes, we sure have. Carl delivered one of the best calls I've ever had on the Huge Radio Network. It was fantastic with his opinion and also connecting it to what he looked at when he saw the flag in regards to his son who died uh, making the ultimate sacrifice for his country. So, Carl and Ruth, good to have you in studio. And what was the most touching thing uh, going through everything uh, connected to your son uh, that somebody from the military uh, told you? I'm sure you heard a lot at the funeral and after he had passed away, uh, but something you discovered um, that really made you a proud mom. So many things. Um, I guess the the one big thing that stuck out to me was um, 
when I received the um, his military records, um, and I I had access to all of his performance reviews, um, and so I had probably three or four, well probably more like six or seven years worth of performance reviews on different deployments and different billets that he had served. And um, throughout them all, it was promote ahead of his peers, um, performs above and beyond his experience and um, uh, level, uh, you know. And so it was just, I learned so much about Dan through those that you didn't know that I didn't know. And it was stuff that he maybe had told us, but he always said everything in such an understated way that we had no idea of the magnitude of what he was doing. He was a true American serving his country, serving his family. And definitely you talk about your faith uh, and inspiring you to write the book. Ruth Price is a mother of gunnery Sergeant Daniel J. Price, who made uh, the ultimate sacrifice for his country uh, in Afghanistan. He was a Marine Raider, Special Forces, right? So yep. he had worked his way up yep. Yep. through very, the Marine process, know, right? Everybody knows who the Navy SEALs are. Um, the Marine Raider is is basically the same type of so they're of special ops, special, special forces. Yep, it's just the Marine best of the version. best, right? Best of the best. Yep. Well, yep. what what inspired uh, your son to join the military and serve his country? There's a lot of different things, I think, that played into that. Um, there were, I think, um, the attack on the World Trade Center was huge. He was a junior in high school at the time, and he was so angry that they would attack civilians on our own turf. Um, and so that made him angry, and he, I think that was a huge motivation to join. And he looked at different um, different branches of the military, but decided that if he didn't make special forces, he wanted to be in the Marines because he most likely would see combat and travel the world anyway. And then he probably didn't realize that there was a, a SEAL-like unit of the Marines because I'd never heard of the Raiders. Um, there, I'd never heard of that until I, I looked at your book. Yep. He originally um, joined Recon, the Marine Recon um, Battalion, and that also is special forces. But then in 2000, and no, oh, I'm going to press my memory Seven here. Or eight. 2000, yeah, 2000, actually six, I think. Um, the MARSOC, Marine Special Operations Command, was um, set up. Um, and so he didn't join it right away. It was 2008 before he actually joined up with them. He wanted to give it a few years, make sure that they were going to continue, be a, a a quality organization, um, a division of the Marine Corps. And so, yeah, then he, he joined. So originally it was MARSOC, and then in 2014 they um, took over the name of Marine Raiders, uh, which is a throwback to the World War II Raiders, who were the special ops in, the, in World War II. Did he join to do four years and, you know, maybe get money for education, or did he join to be a career military man? I, I really don't know if he... It, I, he went in with an open mind to um, to be in for and to see how it was going to go, I believe. And once he got in, in, even in boot camp, he excelled and was promoted in, bro- in boot camp and then was in one of the school of infantry, and he was on an automatic tryout for Marine Recon. So he went right from boot camp, basically, to Marine reconnaissance and 
started deploying. So as parents, when your child is inspired as a junior in high school, where did Daniel go to school? We homeschooled. Homeschooled. All right. Yep, so Daniel, Daniel's a junior in high school, and he's inspired to want to go serve his country. There's probably that proud side of two parents looking at their son who's inspired and cares about his country, but also worried when he finally made that decision to join the military that that knock on the door could happen one day, right? Very mixed feelings. Um, it's a long ways from the farm in western Michigan. Um, and so, yeah, but, but you know, making that decision in his junior year and being homeschooled, we took his senior year and worked really hard at preparing him. Um, he worked hard physically. Um, started running to work with his work boots on so that he would be prepared to run. Running to work with his work boots on. How far was that? Um, It was about a half a mile, but work was on a farm, so he's wearing, like, farm boots. And um, so, yeah, that was just to prepare himself for working, um, for running in combat boots. Um, So he worked on the physical part, and I, as his homeschool teacher, worked on emotional, spiritual um, psychological, just kind of to prepare him, and um, because when they leave for the military like that, it's it's you raise your children to be independent, but it's a very abrupt independence. And yeah, so we we took that senior year and worked really hard at getting him ready. Well, what type of kid uh, into that young man before he joined the Marines? Carl and Ruth Price, by the way, in studio parents of the late. Daniel J. Price, a gunnery sergeant, Marine Raider. He was killed July 29th, 2012 in Afghanistan. Uh, what type of kid was he uh, as he grew into a young man? And then that day when you said goodbye and he joined the military, uh, what made him special? Um, he was always extremely strong-willed, very difficult to deal with. He would argue about anything. Um, he would argue about the color of the sky. Um, Very independent. Oh, very independent. Um, I was thankful for the opportunity to homeschool him. Um, I asked him one time after he was in the Marines, um, he was probably in two or three years, and I said, so what would have happened to you had you stayed in a regular school setting? He went through second grade at Zealand Christian School. Um, And I asked him, "What, what, what would have happened if you had stayed in a regular school setting? And he said, Mom... I would have been in juvenile detention before I was 14. And I believe him because he had so much energy, so much drive. And if you didn't channel that into something productive, he would make his own busyness. And it wasn't always good. So you guys grew up on it. He grew up on a farm, a hobby farm. Yeah, Yeah, we have 10 acres and they raised 4-H animals. Um, And he worked for a neighboring pig farmer. So started working when he was 11. Wow. On the farm. Yeah, he had. Uh, There's he a lot loved, of stories about kids who grow up on farms and their work ethic. Yeah, he when loved, they're adults, he loved to work, and he loved to work, and he was intense. But he was also, uh, you don't think about this, maybe special operations guys, but he also had a very tender side, a very, a very tender side that would always look out for um, the underdog, and he would protect like his sister he had a had great relationship with his sister and he it was always uh, protecting her watching over her and he's the oldest right he is the oldest yep yeah so there there's that yep. protective side i think that's just innate yep. inside your dna and right that's, that's also part of what made him so angry with the world trade center attack 
um, because there again, it was the underdog. You know, they were attacking civilians. In all the letters, now that he's in the Marines, in the back and forth letters, which is still how many people pen letters today? We write emails, we text, we call somebody, we FaceTime in this modern era we live in. But there's still something intimate, beautiful and memorable and nostalgic about a a handwritten letter. What what do you write to you back and forth when you guys are talking? When they are in recruit training in Marine Corps, they do not have the opportunity to use We got two calls in 13 weeks, um, and that's it. Um, They didn't have access to computers, telephones, nothing. They take it all away. So um, it was write letters or not communicate. I wrote a letter to him almost every day, um, and all he wanted to know about was what's happening at home, just the everyday, day-to-day stuff. He was painfully homesick. Um, just wanted to know. And he wrote us maybe three three times a week, I would guess. Um, and he just sent us what he's doing in training, what things were concerning him, what things he was worried about as far as um, different tests that he would have to take or or do, um, either physical or mental, whatever. But he just he just wrote what he was doing. And as he got through training, and now you're entering the surreal world of combat, a lot of people will talk about that they notice a change or changes in someone's personality, demeanor, communication. Uh, did you see that from Daniel? Um, I would say he, he did change from what he was at home somewhat. He became more independent, especially throughout his first two deployments. On his third deployment in um, 2000 and, um, 2007, he... Um, he went through some pretty intense combat, and his attitude changed a little bit. In what way? It matured. Um, he, um, there was no glory in killing anymore. His first two deployments, he was pretty callous, pretty young, immature. Just It was a, the adrenaline rush. Go in and do it. And um, that third deployment kind of changed things. He had gotten married, so he had a wife. Um, and so there were a lot of things that played into his... Um, maturing and um, just just growing, just um, becoming a little more uh, grounded, I would say, as far as um, his his view of life and death. Did he talk to you about how combat was wearing on him? That the killing, Carl, uh, between conversations you guys had, whether it was calls or emails or letters, once he got past his training portion yeah, of his he- military career. He would he he talked to me a few times about um like Ruth said about that about about the the killing part because they don't send those guys to a calm area and you see a lot of combat and one of his uh one big conversation that we had was well we're Christians and and um he had a really hard time with you know it was the Muslims that that he's fighting and he's and he's um and he's killing them and he says you know it's just a different viewpoint than what we as christians had and i said you know you just have to you you have to know that there's not one person that dies you're not you're not sending someone here or someone there it's god that's in charge of that you're doing your job and you're called by the government to do your job and he was doing his job he was very good at his job and he loved his job 
but he had some struggles there. But he got through that, and it was really uh, an awesome thing as a dad to see your son maturing and really becoming uh, a young man that was really thinking about what he was doing and not just living a willy-nilly life. He had focus. He wasn't just gung-ho and he's he's talking about, I killed 40 guys this weekend, right? But that he was actually starting to have a conscience and think it out, right? We we did not. He never, um, anytime he would ever tell us about the things that went on, it was never that gung-ho, that gung-ho thing. It was... Uh, a, a calm conversation about what his job was. And what was his job in the Marines? Killing people. <laughs> he was a sniper? <laughs> well, He was he, a sniper. Yeah. They, they, they would go out um, a lot of the times with four or five, uh, five or five-man teams. Of snipers? Not, not just of snipers. Um, he was a sniper, but the, the other guys were too. But they would go out on missions. And they would give him. They they gave him a mission to do. Um, sometimes it was reconnaissance. Sometimes it was going in to um, take out some bad guys where they knew the bad guys were. And they they gave him a job to do, and they did their own mission planning. Five and, guys, right? Pretty much out on their own, right? They drop them in either out of the sky or with a well a helicopter, you know, insertion in the middle of the night with their night vision goggles and they would go in and and do their job. And they were they all had each other's back and they that's a tough job. Uh, it is the version, the Marine version of the SEALs, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It'd be, you right. know, maybe Rangers in the Army, right? Yeah. Green Berets. Right. Yeah. right. And, uh, you know, you haven't heard a lot about the Marine Raiders, uh, you know, these stealth units and what they do and when they go in. As he's maturing, as he's talking about uh, being in combat on these missions, um, did he ever discuss his mortality? Was that a conversation? Oh, oh yeah, that you both of you had with Daniel. Uh, he, oh yeah, he would say that you know you don't live real long um, doing what I do, and he's and he had some. Friends. He would tell you that. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, he says, and you know, and even afterwards when we talked to his commanding officer, he says, you know, he says, yeah, they throw bravery around a lot, um, but Dan was truly brave. Because he planned missions with not with with trying to get the outcome, the right outcome. He didn't always he didn't plan it haphazardly for his own safety or the men's or the men around him safety. But that was kind of second place. Getting the mission done was first place, and uh, he said they were very. Uh, he said he did that, and he was that way. Because he knew that if where he would be if he got killed, that was his. He knew he would be in heaven with his Lord if he if he died on the on the battlefield. And you have to you have to kill or be killed in some of those situations. Mm-hmm. Yep, that that is the I'm not going to say the art of war because that sounds that's the reality the reality of war. Of war. Yeah, I mean uh, you have to kill or be killed. I'm looking at the cover of the book and Ruth Price and Carl Price are out of Holland, Michigan. For our affiliates on WHTC, they're joining me in studio, and uh, I think I owe it to every 
military family uh, in my area, when they lose somebody, if I get a chance to have them in studio or pay tribute or allow their sons to never be forgotten, uh, I think it's part of my calling and doing a radio show the last 26 years. And there's a photo, uh, no stray bullets to make it of American Hero. We were just talking about there's Gunnery Sergeant Daniel J. Price, Marine Raider. There with the scope and looks like he's in a mountainside yep. somewhere in Afghanistan, right? Or the Middle yep. East. Yep. Yeah. And he lived for his country and he died fighting for his country. That's exactly right. A lot of people can't say that. You're listening to Huge Show Conversations with Gold Star Families here in Michigan as they talk about the legacy of their sons who made the ultimate sacrifice fighting for our country. I'm Matt Shepard, the voice of Detroit baseball. I'm Herman Moore, and football is my game. So we know a few things about sports. And the passion of Detroit fans. That's why we're big fans of Eagle Casino and sports. It's the mobile sports book that lets you bet on action all year long. Right from your mobile device. Eagle Casino and sports. Made in Michigan. Made for Michigan. Download the app and start winning today. Must be 21 or older and in Michigan to play. Bill Simonson here for my good friends from Westside Beer Distributing. Now, they're proud to support the Folds of Honor Scholarship Program, benefiting the families of fallen and injured soldiers and our first responders. Folds of Honor provides scholarships for education to ensure our heroes' children can attend college. And Westside Beer Distributing has contributed over $100,000 since the program started and will be donating another $15,000 this summer to the the Folds of Honor to help a local hero's child. Anheuser-Busch, which is the Folds of Honor's longest-standing partner, has donated over $21 million to the cause. Budweiser and Bud Light will continue to honor Folds of Honor this summer with special edition 16-ounce aluminum bottles. Look for them at a bar, restaurant, or retailer near you and support this great cause. Grand Rapids, you asked for it. Big Time Rush are coming. Big Time Rush, live in concert. Can't get enough tour. Van Andel Arena, Friday, July 21st. With special guest Max and featuring Jax. Get tickets now at LiveNation.com. For more, visit BigTimeRushOfficial.com. Bill Simonson here for Roast Umber Coffee. It's a farm direct coffee sourced from Central American farmers and roasted in Grand Rapids. And their nitro cold brew coffee is a convenient and healthy option with no sugar or additives. So if you want a great coffee or energy drink to power you through your morning and your day, it's available in ground or whole bean or in cans. More information on the website and direct delivery to your door at roastumber.com. There are 13 folds that bring the American flag to the iconic shape of freedom. This summer, Folds of Honor and Budweiser celebrate 13 years of changing military and first responder lives together. Service never stops, and neither will we. So join me in raising a Budweiser to raise funds for Folds of Honor. Enjoy responsibly. Anheuser-Busch Budweiser Lager Beer, St. Louis, Missouri. 
Bill Simonson here with a message from my good friend Josh Garvey. Now, he's the new managing shareholder for Bean Garter. At the end of the year, they'll be merging with Dorn Mayhew, and they'll be stronger together as one of America's top accounting and business firms. And speaking of business, if you're a business owner, decision maker... Bean Garter has retirement planning services in combination with Dorn Mayhew that can help take a lot of work off of your plate. Third-party administrator for 401k and 403b plans. They plan, document, design, and have maintenance of all plans. They can help you today. Go to BeanGarter.com for more information, annual employer reporting, Form 500-8955 preparation and filing, and compliance testing. So let BeanGarter help you with your retirement planning services for your company. Stronger Together now with Dorn Mayhew. You can find out more at BeanGarter.com. That is B-E-E-N-E-G-A-R-T-E-R.com. On today's broadcast, we look back at my conversations with Gold Star families in West Michigan about their sons making the ultimate sacrifice for the United States of America. A couple of names in studio, Carl Price and Ruth Price. They are the parents of Gunnery Sergeant Daniel J. Price, a Marine Raider who was killed serving his country, made the ultimate sacrifice in Afghanistan July 29th, 2012, just a week or so prior to Navy SEAL David Warson, also from West Michigan and East Kentwood, before he lost his life in a canyon in Afghanistan. So the knock on the door, I've talked to some Gold Star family members. Uh, you, you know what it is when you see the car pull up. Ruth, I know it inspired you to write the book, No Stray Bullets, The Making of American Hero, which you can get. Amazon.com will tell you about some locations here in West Michigan. But tell me about uh, July 29th, Ruth, 2012. Yeah, it's a day you never forget. Um, We were it was a Sunday afternoon. It was about 245. Gorgeous day. Uh, we were resting and got a, the front doorbell rang. Nobody ever goes to the front door. I sent Carl to answer it. I said, you go see. See who's here. Thought it might be a neighbor or something, right? Well, somebody with car trouble or, you know, somebody who had, who knows. So, but I said, you just go. So he went and he didn't even make it all the way to the door. Maybe halfway. He says, Ruth, you better come here. And I knew something wasn't right, but I had no idea. So as I rounded the corner and saw um, the front door and the three Marines in their uniforms standing there, I knew. You you know. Um, Dan had always told us that they won't come if I'm wounded. If you see three guys on the step, he says, I'm gone. Because if... It doesn't matter how seriously they're wounded, how close to death they are in an injury, um, they will call. They won't come. Your son told you that. He told us that before time. Yep. He said if if they come to the door, he says, I'm I'm gone. Um, and so you, you just know. And then they still are required to, to make the statement. It's... Um, you know, they they said, "Are you Carl or are you Daniel Price's father?" They asked Carl, and he said, "Yes, I am." And um, yeah, he just said, "Sit down." 
He just said what? He said, sit down. He told you to sit down. Yeah. And he just bent down by us, and he said, um, from the... On behalf of the President President. of the United States and the Commandant of the Marine Corps, we regret to inform you that your son, Daniel J. Price, was killed this morning in Afghanistan. Um, So it was the same day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's it's not like back in the day where some of the people were receiving letters after they found out their kids were killed, you know, that... You know, World War Two, they'd find out they could find out months later that their son was killed or even in Vietnam. They found out in first they started finding out from there by telegrams. And now but they came right to our door. And I'll never forget that that big Marine standing there at the door with his uh, steely eyes. I mean, he. He, uh, I found out afterwards when I talked, we were assigned a casualty officer, and he was along with them also. And I talked to him, and he says, yeah. He says he just kind of groaned all the way to your house that he really didn't want to do this. You know, he sat down the road. They drove by our house a couple of times to see if we were home. And then they sat down the road a little while because Dan had, is, was married, and his wife was in California. And they told us both at exactly the same time. When she came home from church, which is three hours after us, they they were on the phone with each other and said, Yes, she's home, so now is the time. So they 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 came and told us both at the exact same time that her husband was gone and our son was gone. Yeah, and afterwards you find out there's a police officer that was also sitting down the road because sometimes you don't ever know how a family is going to react you know they could there could be a a, a physical altercation they're, they're mad right yeah, mad, or, at, mad or, at the country mad at the world or a heart attack or you know or if they have guns in the house if they get angry you know it and uh so it was yeah the the hardest day of my life when you have to go after that and then go and tell his sister and tell his brother um, go to our pastor and tell him go to his grandpa and grandma on one side go to his grandma on the other side and then yeah go and tell them and can you imagine being a casualty officer and that's you were assigned one that's your job yeah that's yeah. he didn't have to do he didn't have too many of those but they were like um he had done Justin Hansen from Traverse City was killed two weeks before Dan. And so the same, it was a different casualty officer, but it was the same office of Marines that um, was involved in, in that um, event. So, um, yeah, it was, it's not like they do it all the time. That's not their full-time job, but yet yeah, it does happen. And they get pretty immersed in the family and in the emotions. So from that moment when they tell you that Marine Raider Gunnery Sergeant Daniel J. Price had died serving his country in Afghanistan, uh, when do you find out exactly how he died? Now, do you ever? Is that always oh, that military? They, is they that classified s- information? They start to tell you some things, but right away there when they yeah, were there, he when told, there. They told us that it was um, during combat operations, and they said something about some sort of a head wound. Um, but we didn't really find out too many details. Um, 
when we went to Dover um, for what's called the Dignified Transfer, when his body came into the States from Afghanistan, um, we actually got to talk to his body escort, who was a close friend of our family, um, and then also the body escort of the Marine who was killed with him, um, who was actually on the combat site. So these guys, have, these are military men who escort the bodies back to the family. They're yeah, fellow they have Marines. To, you, yep. you have to fill out a paper in the in the special operations with the Marines. You do. You have you fill out a out a paper that says who's going to be your escort if you would get killed on this deployment. He would escort your body back home. They never leave the body until it gets um, to the funeral home, and they also have to pick out their pallbearers that are before they go. Wow. They have to pick out, they have to fill out um, what happens with their um, life insurance money. They fill all these things out. The only thing that I that kind of bothered me a little bit about it was when they, they take a picture and the picture that's released from the military, you know, Dan was just kind of standing there like, yeah, he didn't even have his uniform on. And I said, that's the picture they release um, that just before he deploys. You know, I wish they would, and I told him this, I wish they would um, be in uniform and look like they're in the military. He just looked like, it looked like a mug shot because he was just kind of standing there. Yeah, probably like, nothing intentional. Probably everything right. moves so fast, right? Yeah, right. They, just, they just do it because no, none of them want to, they don't go thinking that they're going to get killed. And I think the but Marines go for right, it. Yeah. The Marines goal would be that they never have to bring a family to Dover to welcome back a body. Exactly. Right. As, right. A, as a result of that experience, though, with Dan and the picture that the Depar- Department of Defense released after his death, um, now the Raiders have an annual picture taken at their Marine Corps ball in their dress blues. That's awesome. And so they they have that picture. Um, just just for that event. And then it's not a, oh, well, take this picture before you deploy, just in case. It's just something that they do, um, and it, it, that's the reason for it, but it's not so intentional. So you're at Dover, uh, Delaware, Dover Air Force Base. Yep. Uh, and is it the flag draped coffin? Is it like no. what? It's no. kind of a, it's, it's flag, a box. It's flag draped. But it's, but it's a box. It's just a big, uh, big metal box that comes off, and they have... They have a real they have a uh, ceremony. Real, yes, they do. And there was just those two on that big plane. And that's a private ceremony with just the the immediate yeah, the family. Two, two families. Um, yeah, that the other guy that got killed with with Dan. Right. Um, yeah, that just those two, and they loaded in a they loaded in a van, and off it goes to the mortuary. You're out on the you're right out on the runway, right by the plane. Everything is very well done at Dover. Um, they have a chaplain who walks through a lot of stuff with you, a lot of details that need to be taken care of. They tell you everything, what's going to happen, what time, to the best of their knowledge, everything is going to happen, which was awesome. We didn't have to make flight arrangements. We didn't have to do our our casualty officer took care of that in Grand Rapids. Um, he picked us up, took us to the airport, told us when to be ready. Um, at that point, you're not thinking. You can't think and function and make decisions. And they do all of that for you and just walk you through everything that you have to be doing. Um, and then, yeah, you just you just kind of do what they tell you when they tell you. And then we stayed at the um, Fisher uh, House. The Fisher House. 
um, which maybe people are, are familiar with, the Fisher House. Um, they're just um, hospitality houses. It's like a hotel, but they've got a, a fully um, equipped kitchen, um, lots of freezer food, convenience food. So if you're there, you're only there for maybe a day, day and a half, but you have access to everything you need right there. And when Daniel was returned home, I'm looking at a photo on the back of the book, No Stray Bullets, a making of American Hero, the mother of Gunnery Sergeant Daniel J. Price, who we're talking about, a Marine Raider who died in Afghanistan July 29, 2012, wrote the book, No Stray Bullets, is available on Amazon. But there's a, a photo on the back of the book that strikes me. Describe that photo. That's actually the funeral procession. It's the procession from the church where the funeral was held to the cemetery. In Holland? In Holland. Um, Look at that crowd. And, yeah. um, and it was probably a funeral route of, what do you think, three miles, three or four miles? There, those maybe. people are 50 deep And they were. It was like that. The Look at the flags. When we got to the cemetery, the cemetery was packed. Um, they had over probably roughly 1,500 or more Patriot Guard riders, motorcycles, that led the procession. And we got to the cemetery, and there were just motorcycles parked everywhere. It was just, it's it was unbelievable. Well, that photo says it all in the back of the yeah. book. It almost brings tears to my eyes. You see the fire departments are hoisting mm-hmm. the American flags. There's the procession. And I'm telling you, uh, Holland, Ottawa County showed up in full force uh, that is, I'm looking at the people, they're 50 deep, and it looks like photo I'm seeing goes for about a mile, at yeah. least. Yeah. Oh, it was the entire route. Yeah, it was they, the entire route. You know, that had Holland, to touch you guys, didn't yeah, it, and Holland your family? Sh- yeah, showed up, you know, um, big time. I'm extremely grateful. You know, we had, we had um, the Westboro Baptist Church was going to protest at our son's funeral. They're well known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they Not well-liked, but well-known. Yeah, and and that kind of went out on Facebook that they were going to be there, too. So that added to the people wanting to come. And, yeah, somebody said they started to stage and a little ways away from the cemetery, but never made an effort because of so many people. Yeah, and I think what you see here, uh, Carl and Ruth, is that you see Holland and Ottawa County, and you see Michigan, and you see America. Yeah, and they're all rising and paying respects or their respects to yeah, the guy, your son uh, for serving for serving our country and making the ultimate sacrifice. Dance friends that were here at Paul Bears and plus all the a lot of the dignitaries from the Marine Corps. Um, they they were all so um, Dan used to have a saying, uh, that's what right looks like. And those guys were just so impressed and they felt so good about appreciate the cnc in america even though they're from other parts of the country right right i heard the comment many times that day from marines that that's why we do what we do amen this is why we do what we do. well i'm glad ruth you wrote this book no stray bullets the making of american hero available uh, on amazon.com carl price daniel's father uh, in the studio here in the huge radio network and before we go i just want to read a Quote, right below that photo from Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Christian, retired 1st Marine Raider Battalion. Gunnery Sergeant Dan Price was a heroic warrior who had an unmatched work work ethic and commitment to excellence. He epitomizes the words honor, courage, and commitment. Dan Price will go down in the history of the Marine Raiders as a legendary warrior who refused to lose in combat. I had the honor and privilege to command Dan on two combat deployments and watch his heroic actions on multiple occasions. 
not only is he one of the most gifted combat leaders in the history of the Marine Corps Special Forces Operations Command, MARSOC, he's one of the finest men I had the opportunity to, to know. This book is a fitting tribute to a Marine Raider that lived the life of Spiritus Invictus, Unconquerable Spirit. And that is Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Christian, retired 1st Marine Raider Battalion. His comments on the back of that book right below that picture, uh, the funeral procession for Gunnery Sergeant Daniel J. Price out of Holland. Ruth, Carl, thank you. Thank you, Bill. Thank you much. Awesome interview. Thanks. Good luck with the book. Thank you. And, and thanks thanks for giving us a little exposure. No, you don't need to thank me. Never. Never need to thank me. Uh, my best to you and your family. Uh, the book uh, is wonderful. And thank you so much for making yeah. the trip yeah. from Holland. Thank, thanks yeah. a lot for thank what you, you do for us, Bill. All right. Carl and Ruth Price in studio here on the Huge Radio Network. You're listening to Huge Show Conversations with Gold Star families here in Michigan as they talk about the legacy of their sons who made the ultimate sacrifice fighting for our country. Disturbed, the Take Back Your Life Tour. Labor Day Monday, September 4th at Soaring Eagle. And same show, same night, Stained. Tickets start at $34 and on sale now at the Soaring Eagle box office or etix.com. Party hard, rock harder. It's been a while. Disturbed and stained. Labor Day Monday. Part of the Soaring Eagle Summer Outdoor Concert Series. Huge here for the Michigan High School Athletic Association. You can stay up to date on the latest from Lansing 24-7 at MHSAA.com. At MHSAA on Twitter and MHSAA on Facebook. The latest news, press releases, and stories connected to every high school in the state of Michigan. Available for you 24-7 from the Michigan High School Athletic Association. Log on to MHSAA.com, at MHSAA on Twitter, and MHSAA on Facebook. And if you're looking for archive, boys and girls... High School Sports, MHSAA.TV. That's MHSAA.TV. 24-7, everything you need to know about high school sports in Michigan. Log on to MHSAA.com. The Michigan Association of Chiefs of Police wants you to know that June is Gun Violence Awareness Month. Why do we need to recognize gun violence? because we can stop it before it happens. Many people contemplating an act of gun violence display significant or sudden changes in their behavior. If you know what to look for, you can be the difference. Search 10 critical warning signs of violence or contact your local police department to learn more. Drive for a cause at Mini on the Mac on August 4th and 5th. Hundreds of Mini Cooper owners will come together at the world-famous Mackinac Bridge. You can register now at MiniOnTheMac.com to be a part of this one-of-a-kind event. That's MiniOnTheMac.com. Hey, this is Matt Shepard from the Michigan Sports Network. I love summers in Michigan because it means golf season. Now, two things always when I go golfing. I make sure I got my sticks... 
and I've got plenty of cold, fresh Labatt Blue Light. Whether I've just squeezed in 18 holes or I just want to relax on the patio after a long day, everywhere I go, and I'm serious when I tell you this, I tell people about the smooth, genuine taste of Labatt Blue Light. It's just a great beer. Michigan Sports Network is giving you a chance to win a foursome to Michigan's best courses. Just listen weekdays to the huge show and X's and Bros, or just text GOLF to 21,000 to enter. That's GOLF to 21,000. The trip includes two overnight stays and two rounds of golf, all brought to you by my friends at Labatt Blue Light. So grab a Labatt Blue Light the next time you head out onto the course and enjoy the blue skies, because blue is for Michigan summers and great times. Always enjoy responsibly. Copyright 2023 Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. All rights reserved. Labatt is a registered U.S. trademark of Labatt Brewing Company, LTD. At Mercantile Bank, we believe in empowering the communities we serve and that financially strong individuals and families are vital for building strong communities. That's why we're committed to providing budgeting tools and interactive resources designed to help you take charge of your finances. Our friendly staff is always here to help answer questions and provide solutions to help you reach your goals. Call, stop in, or visit us online at MercBank.com to learn more. And let's help you make today count. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Shop for July 4th with just one stop at Meyer. Right now, buy one, get one free 80% lean ground beef and Kingsford Twin Pack Charcoal Briquettes for $17.88. Plus, get 50% off the entire stock of swimwear for the family. Buy five, save $5 on Pepperidge Farm Buns, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, 7-Up, or Dr. Pepper products. Plus, deposit where applicable. And Lay's Potato Chips. Get more for your money with the same prices online and in-store at Meyer. Exclusions apply. See all the deals in the Meyer app. You're listening to The Huge Show on the Michigan Sports Network. Bill Simonson back on The Huge Show across Michigan. I do want to thank everybody for listening this hour. You know, when it comes to holiday weekends or Veterans Day, I always try and pay tribute to the Gold Star families. I feel the legacies of their sons who gave their lives for our freedoms need to be remembered. So if you get a chance and run into one of these Gold Star families, sit down and hear their stories about their sons and we try and bring them on the radio each and every year around the holidays and Veterans Day because I think it's important to have perspective on those who are willing to give up everything serve America and unfortunately have to make the ultimate sacrifice for others in their unit for those on their base or for us in the United States of America Number one thing I always say that Gold Star families have told me on air and off air, they never want people to forget their sons. And I've made that promise to those Gold Star families that on air and on my social networks, I will never let Michigan forget the brave men who have made the ultimate sacrifice for America. So on behalf of everybody connected to the Michigan Sports Network and the Huge Show, we salute those who have made the ultimate sacrifice. following is a presentation of the Michigan Sports Network. Tuesdays on the Huge Show Across Michigan are brought to you by the Soaring Eagle Casino and Resort in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Book your getaway today at SoaringEagleCasino.com and also download the Eagle Access app. And they now have live sports wagering inside the Ascend Sportsbook 
and nightclub inside Soaring Eagle in Mount Pleasant. And if you want to get an update and buy tickets to all the great indoor shows, find out about the promotions and the giveaways, go to SoaringEagleCasino.com and download that Eagle Access app. Tuesdays on the Huge Radio Network are presented by the incredible Soren Eagle Casino and Resort in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. On today's broadcast, we look back at my conversations with Gold Star families in West Michigan about their sons making the ultimate sacrifice for the United States of America. Let's continue our Gold Star family conversations. Now, I came across a follower on the Huge Show Twitter feed by the name of Jamie Klein, and she is a head track and field coach at West Catholic High School in Grand Rapids on the west side of the state and also speed coach for the powerful West Catholic High School football program. And she had a comment that I liked, and I clicked on the comment, and I noticed that it said hashtag Gold Star Family. So I reached out to Jamie, and I said, would you be interested in coming in studio to tell the story of your husband's stepbrother, Matt, who went to Morley Stanwood High School, Matt Weber, and Western Michigan University. Matt had signed up for the National Guard to help him pay for college. He was sent to Iraq in August 2015. He was hit by a roadside bomb on November 21st, 2015. The gunner in his Humvee was killed instantly. The remaining four guys were sent to Germany and then to Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas. They all sustained life-threatening burn injuries while they were trapped in the Humvee for up to 20 minutes. Jamie told me that her and her husband, Matt, went at least twice a month to Texas. Or her and her husband, Brendan, went to visit Matt at least twice a month to Texas. He was never able to speak but was aware that we were there. Sadly, all, all of those soldiers passed away. Uh, Matt passed five months later on April 27th, 2016, gave his life to the United States of America, the ultimate sacrifice, and that what defines a gold star family. And Jamie Klein uh, joins us in studio here on the Huge Show across Michigan. Welcome in. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate the background on Matt, and I mentioned your uh, husband, Brendan, and the connection there. So as a Gold Star family, uh, when you look back to 2016 and you think about Matt, what's that been like for your family? There's just so many emotions involved, and even just hearing you recap the story, it's, you know, obviously that when it happened, we were coming home from a restaurant, we got the phone call that he had been hit by a, a roadside bomb, and just thinking of the emotions of that evening and then, you know, not knowing where we were going to spend our Thanksgiving and then traveling to Texas and seeing him, which was unrecognizable as a human being. And then the, the remaining five months were just so painful watching the struggle that this young man went through, losing limbs. And um, you, you knew he was never going to have a normal life. Even if he did survive, it would have been extremely difficult but just watching someone go through something like this is absolutely life-changing. I think I lo- when I read the background you gave me on Matt Weber, that his fight for five months at that burn center in San Antonio, 
I, I, without ever meeting the man, without ever talking to you outside of, you know, some DMs back and forth on Twitter, I think that said something about Matt Weber. Yeah. That he was a fighter. He absolutely was a fighter. We, um, my children were really young at the time, and they couldn't go in to see him because of the condition he was in. But they were four, three, and one. And he could hear them yelling and playing in the hall and in the waiting room. And he would, he, you could see in his eyes, he knew that we were there. He knew that the kids were there. And I was, I'd explain to him, you know, what they were doing. And you could see, even though he, his, he, he sustained third degree burns over 90% of his body. And you could just, you could see the emotion in his eyes. And that's about all the emotion you could see. He was an absolute fighter. He was a family guy. I mean, we, we were a very close family. And I knew just looking in his eyes, the love and the devotion he felt for us and the fight he was trying to just, he was battling so hard just to have one more day with us. So the age of 23, mm-hmm. and we mentioned he died April 27, 2016, right. serving during Operation Iraqi Freedom. And he went to Western mm-hmm. because he, you know, National Guard, he signed up, get money to pay for college. Uh, what do you remember? What does the family talk about when he was sent to Iraq and he knew that he was fighting for freedom? Well, I, I'm very supportive. We are a military family. I was very supportive of, of him doing that, but we were nervous because of the situation in the world at the time, and everybody offered to give Matt money to pay for college so that he didn't have to do this, but we were very proud that he did. And we, you know, we knew it would be a slight chance that anything would happen, but we obviously hoped and prayed that nothing ever would. But we, you know, we were proud of him. We were proud that he was going. We were, we were sad to see, and we saw him off. We had a big party, and the there were, you know, there's mixed emotions. Obviously, your pride because we are a military family, and then the sadness that he's going, and then you just wonder the worry, and then to get that call, obviously, was devastating. And you think about, you know, 23, and what we were doing at 23, or anybody <laughs> listening, and you had Matt. Uh, out of Kalamazoo, Michigan, going to Western. Uh, he was part of the Michigan Army National Guard that we mentioned. He signed up uh, to help pay for college down in Kalamazoo. Uh, that unit, uh, the 125th Infantry Regiment, 1st Battalion, uh, based out of Saginaw, Michigan. So a lot of people probably listening to this, you, you've had men and women serve in that unit and people who knew Army Sergeant Matthew A. Weber. Uh, being a Gold Star family, I... I try and bring these messages that these families never forget. They want the legacy to live on. Mm -hmm. They want people to remember who their son was, who their stepbrother was, who their cousin was, who their uncle was. And, And I find it inspirational that the courage and the duty and the honor and the love of country that I've seen from whether it's Ross Smith or David Warson or... Eric Burry, and I can go down the list. We're talking about, not kids, but people in their late teens, young 20s, who are willing, who know when they walk into Operation Enduring Freedom, when they go to Iraq, when they go to Afghanistan, that they know there's a chance they may not come home and they're willing to sacrifice their life for America. I find that inspirational every time I have a conversation with a Gold Star family. I think it's amazing, and I think it's something that 15 years ago was much more common than it is today. I'd feel like, you know, and as you and I were talking before, I coach young kids, and 
I have a lot of great young kids that I coach who would definitely sign up for this and lay down their life for their country. But I feel it's it's a fleeting feeling. I feel that not as many young people are willing to do this. I, I hope that that changes. But I know that the pride we felt in all of those young men when they were being sent off was something that I don't feel is as strong today. And I hope it comes back because we're so proud of all of these young men who do this. And my father did two tours in Vietnam and the the pride I have in him and what he went through, there was a time that where it, it was, they weren't proud when those guys came back. And when, when, they, when they brought these young men back and when you go into Brook Army and you see these soldiers fighting for their life, there's such an overwhelming sense of, of pride for our country that I just don't know if it's as strong as it, as it is, but I really appreciate you bringing this to the forefront, reminding people we, sh- we need to be proud of these guys. These guys sacrificed their life for what we are allowed to go and protest on the street down here. I see this, these people, and they have the right to do that because of people like my brother-in-law. And I'm beyond proud of him. I think the majority of Americans uh, who are connected to a Gold Star family, who know somebody who served this country, made the ultimate sacrifice, or read or hear a story like this about Army Sergeant Matthew A. Weber, 99% of people listening respect his duty, his love of country, and the honor he had fighting for his life in San Antonio. And I believe that. I really do. It's, it's why I do this. I do this because I know in my heart that if somebody hears a story about a Gold Star family, it will touch their heart. And if you get just that moment where you think about Matthew Weber or you think about Ross Smith, or you think about Daniel Price, and you think about someone you've never met. I've never met any of these heroes, never. But man, through their family, I see the strength. I see the character. I I see what drove them to serve America. And I believe it's there. I really do. I know we, we talk about this next generation. We, we talk about what they've all went through in the last year in the pandemic. But I believe there are kids. You know, I, when, when Ryan Fisher of Granville died in his sleep of a heart attack, his brother Connor, now Ryan was accepted and had a choice between the Naval Academy mm-hmm. and West Point. His brother Connor said that he was going to try and get into West Point to honor his brother. And you know who just graduated in May from West Point? Connor Fisher of Granville, Michigan. It's amazing. And that, that, that's what gives me hope. And I look at their age and I think, hey, man, I'm 59. Somebody at 23 said, yeah, I signed up for the, the college bonus, but I didn't say no when my unit out of Saginaw was called into Operation Enduring Freedom and going to Iraq. And, you know, you look at Matthew Weber and you think about what he would be doing today. And I'm sure you guys, even when you when you started this interview, uh, it, it touches your heart, your family's heart and everybody listening. What, what type of person was he? I mean, for those who never met Army Sergeant Matthew Weber, what, what type of guy was he? Matt liked to have a good time. He uh, he was in a fraternity at Western Michigan, as was his brother, Andy who is now married with three kids and lives locally. Um, Matt liked to have a lot of fun. At all of our family parties, he was the life of the party. He was the first one to get down and roll on the floor with the little kids. He loved his, his 
nephew, his nieces and nephews. He he just he lit up the room when you walked in. He had this bright blonde hair and this bright blue eyes and big smile. And you know we we always um, my husband and I would always play this game on Christmas with them. We'd give he and his brother Andy a blank envelope with no name on it. One had fifty bucks, one had thirty bucks, and they each got to pick which one. Matt always lost. He always got the lesser amount at Christmas. And he was, it was just, it was a long-standing joke because every Christmas it'd be the same thing. He was just, you know, pissed off at Andy, like, why does he always win? You know, and it was just a long-standing, fun Christmas tradition that we always had and something we look forward to every year. And just the, the little things we miss about our, our holiday gatherings. It's been 15 years. And, you know, for most people, these these memories and the, the pain that they feel when they see this on TV, it you know, it's sad to see for a few minutes and... But it, it all changed that day when you know, when Matt passed, and now every time I see someone died in you know overseas in the in the war, it's it's reopening a little bit of that wound every single time, and it you know it, it reminds us of the memories we had of Matt, and I think about all these other families who are now going to have the same you know next 15 years like I've had, you know, missing him and our family and. It's a, it's a different feeling when you when I, when you see it on TV now and you see that soldiers were killed. You don't just walk away and go make your dinner and go on about your day. You stop and you pray and you think about those families, what they're going through right now. I remember what we went through the first 24 hours, the first 48 hours. You know, the funeral, the packed high school gym and you know, the helicopters and everything that we went through. It was it's something I think about. I'm much more cognizant when I see on TV and I see that what the families are going through. And it reminds me of the lifetime of pain that they're going to have, like we have. The, it, I mean, it, it, gets, it doesn't get easier. It just gets different. You know, life is, you're, you don't heal from something like this, but you learn how to grow from it. You move on, but it's always there, always. And again, like when you see... When you see it on the news, it opens it up a little bit more. And I have a much greater appreciation for what other people are going through. And these soldiers still struggling in all of the hospitals. And every prayer for my night is for every soldier who's struggling. Because watching these young men and women go through this, is, it's gut-wrenching and it changes your life. For me, I was a pharmaceutical rep. <clears throat> Excuse me. And right before Matt passed... I told him on his deathbed, I said, I will never live another day of my life unhappy. And I came home, I quit my job, and I said, I want to devote my life to service as coaching, as the lunch lady, as you know, volunteering in my community, and I did. And here I am. I'm, I co I've coached youth, I, youth track. I have eight schools I coach for little kids. I coach at high school. And I've, I've lived up to my promise to him. I've never lived another day <clears throat> unhappy since Matt passed. And that's the best I can do for him. Uh, your husband, uh, Brandon, right? Brandon, yeah. Brandon, Brandon. Mm -hmm. uh, Brandon Klein and Jamie Klein, by the way, uh, joining us. Her husband, Brandon, his stepbrother was Matt Weber, who went to Morley Stanwood High School, for those of you just north of Grand Rapids here on the west side of the state. Went to Western Michigan University, as I mentioned, signed up for the National Guard to help him pay for college. He was sent to Iraq in August 2015. He was hit by a roadside bomb on November 21st, 2015. In 15, the gunner in his MV was killed instantly. The remaining four guys were sent to Germany and then on to Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas. They all sustained life-threatening burn injuries while they were trapped in the Humvee for up to 20 minutes. Matt did pass away along with uh, the rest of 
his fellow soldiers who were hit by that roadside bomb. That was on April 27th. 2016. So your husband, uh, being a uh, stepbrother, Matt, of his, uh, how, how has he handled everything? He, I think he more compartmentalizes things than I do. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of guys do that. I mean, I'm not just trying to be stereotypical of guys, but I know it's been painful for him. I mean, he, he became Matt's big brother when Matt was four, their parents married. And so, you know, his memories of carrying Matt down to Richmond Park on his shoulders and going fishing and you know he has a lot of great memories with Matt as a kid and I, he he doesn't talk about it as much as 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 I think as I do um I, ju- I just I think it's a little more painful for him because it just brings up all the memories that he had together with him as a little kid I met Matt as a teenager when he was in high school and my husband and I met so I have memories of Matt playing football and you know playing sports at Morley Stanwood and um, the the memories he has of him as a a small boy being a big brother to him I to look back on that I'm sure it's it's really painful for him to think about that he doesn't get to watch him be the husband and father like like Brandon is and just thinking about the things that Matt did miss out on that we are enjoying in life that we are we've been blessed with three you know teenage boy well they're they're teenage boys they're you know they're they're difficult they give us our struggles but we've been blessed with three great kids and great marriage and it's just things that Matt never got to have the opportunity to have which that's difficult for both of us to I think process you know especially watching the their other brother Andy who you know now is a father of three and we we just think every we were at a birthday party for Andy's youngest son on Sunday and I I'm lying to you if I say I don't think about where Matt would be. You know, Matt would be at this party with, would he have a wife and kids? And would he be rolling around on the floor with Andy's kids? And it's, uh, those things are tough. When every time we go through a family situation like that, we, we think about what would Matt be doing? And I think it's, it's, it's tough for all of us to process. We, we don't, we don't talk about it a lot at parties anymore, but I know we're all thinking about it. Where, where would he be? What would he be doing right now? Yeah, and time just goes by fast, yeah. and I know all the families, especially the Gold Star families and all military families, uh, appreciate uh, the legacy being honored for those who have served, continue to serve, and those uh, like Army Sergeant Matthew Weber who made the ultimate sacrifice. And Absolutely, and I really appreciate you bringing this to light. We, I mean, like I said, we we talk about Matt as a family, but we don't, you know, I don't talk in the community very much about it, but this it's very, it's an honor to be able to talk about him and tell people his story. I think uh, our military, those who have served, who currently serve, and those who have made the ultimate sacrifice uh, deserve better treatment uh, from this country and from the media. And then that's why I do it. And I think we also, I, I mentioned uh, 2015, and this is actually 2005, like you mentioned, o- over 15 years ago, right? Yes. Oh, yes. Right. You're Man, right. So now it's uh, it's coming into year 16. Yes, that's right. And, that and I, time, think I, I think I sent you the... I, don't I worry about it. Hey, hey, you know what? I, I, I mess up numbers for a living. Yeah. If you listen to the show, I will... People are like, really? Bill? Yeah. I, I think and I, when I say I'm 39, I, I may be off by 20 years, but I'm, I'm good. <laughs> don't worry about it. You know, the, yeah. the point here of this entire interview, as we always pay tribute to Gold Star Families... And, and I'm trying, and anybody, by the way, listening, if you are 
a member of a Gold Star family just uh, dropped me a direct message on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, you can email the show, go to thehugeshow.net. The more stories we can share, mm-hmm. and we try and play these interviews around the holidays, Veterans Day, 4th of July, time when people get a chance and they're driving and they're thinking about a 23-year-old by the name of Matt Weber who made the ultimate sacrifice for America and extended family like you, uh, your husband, uh, who was the big stepbrother to him growing up, and to the entire Weber family, and like I said to everybody, as it extends out, uh, that's a that's duty, honor, and love of country, and it defines a man and a woman uh, who are willing to do that. I appreciate the time, Jamie, and my best to you, the Klein family, the Weber family, and everybody. And his. His legacy will live on on the huge radio network for as long as I'm on there. Thanks so much for bringing it to light. We appreciate it. You're listening to Huge Show Conversations with Gold Star Families here in Michigan as they talk about the legacy of their sons who made the ultimate sacrifice fighting for our country. We played for the thrill. That rush you feel with the game on the line. I'm Herman Moore, Lions All-Pro Wide Receiver. Now, with Eagle Casino and Sports, the new sportsbook app from Soren Eagle, anywhere I'm at, I'm still in the game. Sign up now and get up to $1,000. That's right, up to $1,000 for a risk-free bet on your next favorite underdog parlay or prop. Eagle Casino and Sports. Made in Michigan, made for Michigan. Must be 21 or older than Michigan to play. You're listening to The Huge Show on the Michigan Sports Network. On today's broadcast, we look back at my conversations with Gold Star families in West Michigan about their sons making the ultimate sacrifice for the United States of America. Joining me inside the huge studios are Bob and Donna Rausch. They're out of Middleville, Michigan, on the west side of the state, and they're a Gold Star family. Uh, Their son, Nick I was a soldier killed in Afghanistan, and I wanted to carry on the legacy of Nick and who he was when he was growing up and why he chose to serve our country and ultimately uh, made the biggest sacrifice any man or woman can make for America when he was killed in Afghanistan. And I want to welcome in uh, Bob and Donna Rausch uh, to the Huge Radio Network. Thanks for coming in. Thanks Thanks for for having us. All right, Bob, uh, we'll begin with you. Uh, Take me back uh, to Nick Roush growing up in Middleville and the type of kid he was. Mm, Growing up, I guess, uh, typical kid, you know, uh, out in the country, having a blast, roaming around the woods and playing with bicycles and stuff in the front yard and um, lived out in the country, and our boys loved that. He had two brothers that he got to play with and a golden retriever always, so (laughs) he was... uh, yeah, he was living large in the country. So, so as he gets older, um, do you when he's becoming a young man, growing uh, into a man, do you notice that he has an affinity for our country, for the military? Uh, was there a side of him you saw at a young age where you're saying to yourself, you know, he might one day serve America? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I didn't see that. I mean, the only thing, I, I didn't see that. It wasn't something that... Uh, he aspired to it was uh, I, I'm sure he probably noticed I was the type to always have an appreciation for the military and what they do for us so uh, he definitely saw me on more than one occasion 
thank a soldier in an airport or somewhere that we happen to be. Um, so, you know, he definitely saw the appreciation from his parents for what the military does for us. And, and Donna uh, has... The mother of Nick, uh, and we're talking with uh, Bob and Donna Rausch, uh, Nick Rausch, out of Middleville, Michigan, uh, was killed in Afghanistan, and we'll go through uh, his timeline and his life here in a few moments, but uh, a little background from a mother's perspective, uh, what type of young boy was Nick Rausch? He was a unique young man. Uh, he had big, bright red hair and wore it tall and high and... Um, really cared about how he looked and everybody liked Nick. He was a friend to everyone, even those that were outsiders. He took them in and um, was just a kind young man. He w had a great personality. He's had his dad's personality, like to joke and laugh. You could, you know, they would tell each other stories and be crying. They would be laughing so hard and we'd all just look at him like, okay. <laughs> But yes, he he was a great friend to so many, and he um, was very much missed. Bob, uh, at what point then? So he's in high school. Is he an athlete? Is he a guy who likes to work <laughs> on cars? Uh, uh, what type of teenager uh, did your son Nick Roush become? Uh, he played golf uh, all four years of high school at Middleville, and he was yeah, yeah that's yeah. awesome, and he was a good golfer. Um, he wasn't a great golfer, but he was good enough to be a starter on the golf team and um, to turn in some good scores. And we had family memberships growing up. So as a family, we spent a lot of time on the golf course. And uh, so, yeah, he, he loved that. And But cars were definitely his real passion. And uh, he, he developed that pretty early on because um, I was my whole family's they're car guys and we've been playing with cars forever and so i was taking him to car shows and that, that probably initially got him interested in cars you know going to the car shows and we had an annual trip to detroit for autorama and for um in the north american international car show we would always go to that and so we've got lots of pictures of years of doing that and so but yeah then he he got the Fast and Furious. He was kind of that Fast and Furious generation. Wow, yeah. He got into that, and he could lay on our couch and uh, lip sync the entire first Fast and Furious movie. So, yeah, he loved it. And then, and then he went on to build his own Fast and Furious car that did absolutely amazing things. Uh, that's a story in and of itself. But at, I think that was the car was the perseverance really came through the if i set my mind to something i mean i really saw it with the car so you started he, to see him when he's working on cars that oh, he, he had a mental focus where he wanted to do something so how do we get from working on cars and uh knowing every word or knowing <laughs> every every word in the script to fast and furious where does the idea to join the military come in to your son's life well, he was going to college, and he was in his second year of college. And, and he was uh, going to school where? Kalamazoo, uh, Kalamazoo Valley. Yes. And uh, so he was in his second year there and doing well and seemed to be enjoying it, but he met a special operations soldier in one of his classes um, who had to leave the military for 
an injury that he had he had gotten and uh they struck up a friendship and uh, he told nick about you know how great it was to be part of a team and um told nick that he really missed it he missed being part of that team and he missed that brotherhood and nick just came home one day and said i stopped at the recruiter's recruiter's office on the way home and i i not only want to join the military but i want to be part of special operations and he started reading books he was an avid reader and so he went to the to the bookstore and bought books on passing special forces you know physical tests and what would be expected of him for that and then uh, as much as we tried to talk him out of it i mean selfishly i you know there was a war going on at the time and you were worried about your son. Yeah. We were very worried about him. Mm-hmm. And so we tried to talk him out of it. I actually bought a, another project car. I bought a... Trying six, to divert 60, his yeah. attention. Like, yeah. you can't leave this car, right? right. You know, yeah. There, there's and, no way. You can't join the military. You, yeah. you have got to put the carburetor yeah. in, <laughs> yeah. in this vehicle. That, that was oh, the idea. Um, but again, he showed us his perseverance. He, so what age is mindset. he? What, what age is Nick? Uh, what year are we talking about here? Uh, would have been 20. about 20. Yeah, maybe 19, I guess. 19, yeah, I'd be 19. Yeah. Um, and uh, then and then he said he was a skinny kid in high school, <laughs> and he set himself to figuring out how to beat his body into submission. And so that was before he went in, he started the... Oh, absolutely. Getting into yeah. shape to be in special oh, arms. Yeah, right? he was lifting all the time, and he, was, he took an old high school backpack... Mm-hmm. And he loaded it with barbell weights because he read in this book that he would have to be able to ruck with 75 pounds and this many miles. And we have, you know, we live out right on the edge of state land. And so he went out on the trails, you know, the state land trails with this barbell filled high school backpack and with boots. Yeah, with boots on. (laughs) And then and then. You know, he ended up bruising his back so bad from the barbells bouncing him against when he's him. Down yeah. the trails yeah. all so he, bumpy he wrapped all the barbell weights in towels and then repacked it so they were wrapped in mom's good towels <laughs> um, and uh, to to you know cushion the blow a little bit and then uh, yeah, getting near the getting near time to go into basic, he he wanted me to go out for a ruck march with him and I went out with him without any weights i just went out on the trails with him and i think he was probably showing off a little bit but i i yeah i I didn't know if i was going to make it back and i was (laughs) i was walking without a pack so yeah he was he was in pretty good shape when he went in so he goes into basic training in the army right is that correct and then after basic training there's special ops training after that yeah so Basic training, special ops training. Here's a 20-year-old kid, Nick Roush from Middleville, Michigan. You're his parents. You know a war is going on. Um, At what point does he finish special ops training, and now he's deployed? How fast from when he said goodbye to you guys uh, going into basic training until he was deployed in Afghanistan? What was that time frame? Is it two years? Two years. Two years, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how long was he in Afghanistan uh, before he made the ultimate sacrifice, four and a half months. That's it. Mm-hmm. And he was a special ops, and I assume you guys maybe now know, but at the time, the, <laughs> the, the special ops guys can't talk to anybody about what they're doing, right? Yeah, we didn't know anybody. We didn't know anything. Um, Did you know where he was? 
We knew it was in Afghanistan, right. yeah. But not specifically where. I we didn't know ask, where. I would ask, can you just tell us if you're north, south, east, or west so I can worry in that section? Yeah, you're looking at a map, <laughs> yeah. right? And he's like, Mom, you know. He said, well, they're really busy down south. And that's all he said. And so I assumed Central, that was my or, yeah, hint. <laughs> right, your hint that they're... And he was in western. Yeah. So. And, and what was his role uh, in the Army and special operations? He, he, he was a psycho op. Psycholo- psychological. I don't know if I can say it. A psyops soldier. That's easier to say. Um, so, what do you interrogate? So, is that it? Or no? Um, their their job is technically their their the largest role that they have is disseminating information. So, um, so if they get a if they get a break of code or information or transmission, they're trying to figure out what it is. Well, Nick, Nick was a tactical psyoper. So the tactical psyopers are the boots on the ground out in the field um the tactical psyops guys either get attached to a green beret team or a marsoc team which is the marine special operations nick got attached to a marine special operations team and those guys were amazing mm-hmm. and he loved them yeah they're like the, was, they're, they're like the unknown and i got to know the price family yes uh, the the marsoc guys are Kind of like Navy SEALs that nobody talks about, but mm-hmm. maybe even a little bit more front line, just like mm-hmm. Marines are, like the first guys yeah. in, like right? Like the Green Berets, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what they were. And uh, but but their their element of of being part of that team was to disseminate information, so gather information too. But technically speaking, they're supposed to disseminate information. They'll do it with TV broadcasts, radio broadcasts. Um, the tactical guys are the guys that are just hand distributing leaflets, um, hand distributing um, uh, voice uh, with with speakers, like driving through a town with a big speaker system blaring, "Hey, we're coming with our you know our gunships tomorrow. You you better be out of the way, or we're looking for this bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know, please help us. Um, things of that nature. So." And he was helping, trying to figure out what's going on and help these yep. uh, tactical teams on yeah. what they need to do, where they need to go, and yeah, who are the good you, guys, who are the yeah. bad guys, and kind of disseminate it and break it down. Using interpreters. He was working with an interpreter. So, wow. Yep. Yeah. So right there in the in the middle of it all in Afghanistan. Yeah. So now uh, in conversations you could have with him, with him being in special ops, did he seem to be enjoying what he was doing? Did he understand his mission? Was there any apprehension about something could happen to him in your conversations back and forth? He was always pretty lighthearted with us and got to call us a lot, being in special apps. Yeah, the satellite phones they could use <laughs> yeah. all the time, right? Yes. So we got calls on the weekends quite a bit and, you know, talked to mom and dad so that everything stopped when Nick called, you know, so... We did get to hear from him quite a bit. Um, he was outside the wire for five weeks and three days, which about put me in the loony bin. <laughs> I was about ready to call Red Cross. Like, why isn't he calling us? He usually calls us at least once a week, you know. So, um, Donna but, and his girlfriend were yeah, a basket case. I was basket. Mr. Denial, but. Yes. Yeah. He finally called and said, oh, yeah. I'm in. I just got to. I got to get some sleep now. So <laughs> were you guys worrying every day? Was it one of those things having a son in the middle of a war, where you're in Meadowville, Michigan, and you're thinking about it every day? Every day, I 
every day I saw those that car drive down our driveway and have two guys step out in a uniform. You were you were envisioning I, that, right? I think God like was preparing me. So you would see it actually. Oh yes, you absolutely. Would, I'd wake you, up in the middle. This of the is night. before mm-hmm. uh, yep. Nick Nick passed away. Absolutely. You you would see a vehicle. Yep. So, so yeah. So he, he was in denial. He just said. Honey, there's 100,000 troops there. Nick will be fine. You know, it really wasn't even that bad in Afghanistan at that time. And But I just, I feel like I knew, like God was just telling me, this is it. So now uh, it's August of 2009. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. The 16th of August. And it is in a vision. You yep. see the car yep. come up your driveway in Middleville. And you know, you you guys know what I've heard from all the Gold Star families is they know uh, what's happening when that vehicle pulls up. We were. It was a Sunday evening, and we were, were you notified? Well, they they don't know. They they have no, the vehicle they, do it in person. You don't know with all electronic technology now. It's still face to face within four hours of when it happens, and that quick, really. Yeah. So they, you know, have these poor two guys have to come down the driveway, and I still. In my mind, thought, oh, maybe Nick's surprising me. He's coming home early. And then I saw two guys in the car, and I just, I knew immediately. I was watering flowers, and I dropped the can, and I said, he stepped out of the car, and he said, is Robert Roush here? And I said, you better not be here for what I think you're here for. And he just said, I need Robert Roush. And he was in the barn and <laughs> came out and... You hear those words, we regret to inform you. And I dropped, I dropped to the ground. And he was angry. <laughs> he just like, you guys have to do something about these IEDs. And not their fault, of course. And it was an IED on a IED. road in Afghanistan. Yep, he left. The- I just, I, I, I felt like, I, I sort of knew their hands were tied. We had gotten an email. Um, they had changed... Uh, the rules of engagement at while Nick was in country mm-hmm. and they basically tied their hands behind their backs. And, and there's, there's a few books from Marsac guys that explain it in better detail, but uh, it was difficult and dangerous, more dangerous for them to do their jobs. And Nick told us, he said, we, we were trained, we spent more time training to go in to the fight than back away from the fight. And our jobs gotten more dangerous. And, uh, and that night they had they had left the fob at eleven o'clock at night to do the most dangerous job, a direct action job where they were they were under the cover of darkness. They were going in to take out the bad guys, and and they did. They did. They succeeded, and they were nearly back to the base, and they were ambushed. And um, those guys that have seen about everything you can see said it was one of the worst firefights that they'd ever been in and if not for the air support that they had they all of them would have been lost wouldn't have made it out so we actually got a letter from the ac-130 gunship pilot Mm -hmm. and that was really special that he took the time to seek us so he was he was oh. writing a letter to say he wrote a letter. He, he was proud that he he, was, he he wished he could have saved your son, but he saved the lives of that Marsoc yeah. special wit- unit. He yep. witnessed them yep. being professionals and yeah, 
and fighting under the worst of conditions. And uh, mm-hmm. it was his first loss on the ground. And uh, yeah, Sadly and he took the time last. to find us and and write us. And I was pretty impressed by that. They're all they're all amazing. amazing. They're all absolutely amazing. The camaraderie and teamwork the, was something the, that your son longed for. Yeah, and it's there unlike anything oh. on earth. Yeah, those boys call us mom and dad. His yep. teammates are amazing. <laughs> you know, I was reading a story at MLive.com going back to your son's funeral. And we're talking to the Roush family. Nick Roush was out of Middleville, Michigan. Uh, he made the ulti- ultimate sacrifice for America on August 16, 2009 in Afghanistan. And I think it's your father, Robert Roush Sr., am I correct there? Mm-hmm. Uh, at the funeral, uh, he spoke in the eulogy and he says, or said, we all have a destiny in our lives. I know that God had a destiny for him, uh, something for him to do. Nikki is at this moment living out the rest of his destiny, and I await a great family reunion. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and then what's also fate, circle of life, however you want to say it. Uh, a year ago this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, yeah. NASCAR pays tribute <laughs> to fallen heroes. Yeah. And here's a guy who loved cars, who loved working out in the garage, who thought Fast and Furious was an educational uh, series. Uh, Your son's name uh, was on the vehicle of Eric Jones, right? Am I correct? Yes. And you you went down, and you had Michigan. Yeah. Great driver. Yes. And you went down to the race. Yep. It was amazing. Mm. I'm it not really amazing. into NASCAR at all, but now I am. <laughs> but look, look, but look at the. I always say NASCAR in person is it, oh. it, it's it's amazing. It's a big show, right? But the full circle mm-hmm. for the kid when you you found that he was focused and determined when it was working out in the garage, mm-hmm. and no matter how much pain you guys were feeling in your heart, that the full circle when a year ago this weekend you're at the Coca Cola, I think 600 down in Charlotte, yeah. right? Yeah. When you're there, mm-hmm. and, and and his name's on a car, a, yep. big, a fast a car doing you know 180 yeah. miles an hour, right? Yeah. Whatever it is, yeah. And you're seeing that in the full circle, right? I mean, yeah. I, I you know I know we talked before the interview just about mm-hmm. fate, destiny, paths mm-hmm. crossing. Yeah. And you told me um, the date he made the ultimate sacrifice was not the same year, but the same date, yeah. August 16th for. Navy SEAL David Warson yep. out of Kentwood, yep. who we've talked about on the show. Well, mm-hmm. I have to tell you, I admire your strength. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you coming in to mm-hmm. uh, give us as much as you could on the timeline of life uh, for your son. I'm sorry you have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gold Star families are special people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I thank Nick for his service, uh, your boys, your extended family. Uh, Memorial Day weekend has a different meaning out of Gold Star families. Absolutely. Uh, Veterans Day, all these things. Mm-hmm. So, Bob and Donna, thank you so much. Well, thank you for honoring you. our boy by allowing no, us to No, anything I can do to help help people hear the story mm-hmm. of a kid from Middleville yep. Yep. who liked cars and loved his family and loved his country. Loved yep. his country. You know, these stories are there. Uh, they, they're real. Yep. This isn't a movie script. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Appreciate it. You're listening to Huge Show Conversations with Gold Star Families here in Michigan as they talk about the legacy of their sons who made the ultimate sacrifice fighting for our country. 
Drive for a cause at Mini on the Mac on August 4th and 5th. Hundreds of Mini Cooper owners will come together to experience a unique trip across the world-famous Mackinac Bridge. Mini on the Mac also raises vital funds for biomedical research at Van Andel Institute in Grand Rapids. Not only will you have a great time, but you'll also be supporting a great cause. Register now at MiniOnTheMac.com to be a part of this one-of-a-kind event. That's MiniOnTheMac.com. Register today. You're listening to The Huge Show on the Michigan Sports Network. Special thanks to my good friend Johnny Brand Sr. and Sandy Brand and the Brand family. I want to salute their commitment to the Gold Star families and our fallen heroes. I know Johnny Brand Sr. personally, and beyond all the Brand Steakhouse and Grills, his heart with the hearts of every Brand family member has been about those families who have lost a loved one who has made the ultimate sacrifice. Thank you, Johnny Brand Sr. and the entire Brand family.